Welcome back to another episode of Baseball Acumen. I'm your co-host, Brian. And I'm your other co-host, Katie. Katie, I'm really glad we have finally arrived at this episode. It was fun to talk theoretically about war for a couple of episodes, because frankly, I didn't know a ton about it going into that, and it was just a great chance to do some research on it and dig into what it is and how it works. But now that we've kind of turned that corner... We get to get into some actual fun application (laughs) stuff in this episode. Finally. Yeah, sort of apply what we've learned, as you math teachers say. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we're going to dig into some application stuff, but also just look at some different pros and cons of war as a statistic. And I think we've got a fun little episode cooked up here. So Katie, I'm going to let you go ahead and tell us about some little fun tidbits about war and some reminders from past episodes. Sure, yeah. So as we're digging into some of the more specifics and some of the more exciting examples about war, a couple of things to keep in mind. Number one is that when we're talking about a player's war, we are talking about it as cumulative over a full season. So keep that in mind, especially as you're hearing this war statistic thrown around. If you're in April in a season and your favorite star player has a war of, you know, 0.5, They're probably doing really well, right? That's right. Don't freak out yet. It's okay. (laughs) Exactly. It will build and get higher. And hopefully once October baseball rolls around, they're up in that 6-7 category if it's a superstar, right? Right. In some senses, for the exact same reason, a player does not have 40 home runs yet in April. You just haven't gotten that far in the season. Right. For me, this was kind of a big revelation about the war statistic because we studied it. I actually did not realize that war was a cumulative statistic that adds up based on the number of reps and games that a player is playing over a season. So the more they play, potentially the higher their war gets because it accumulates over the course of the season. Exactly. So you can't really compare somebody's season to a different player from another season until they've finished their existing season. Yeah, exactly. So also another thing to keep in mind as we're throwing around some of these specific war numbers is those categories of what a number means for a player. So we mentioned this in an earlier episode, but just to kind of refresh, remember that a replacement level player, somebody who's on the bench could potentially have to fill in if somebody gets injured, they're in that zero to one category, right? They are supposed to be what everybody else is trying to be above. So it makes sense that they are zero, they're the baseline. Your role player who goes in occasionally for something specific, they generally have a one to two war. Again, they don't play as much. They don't have as big of an impact, right? A solid player, a starter, Mm -hmm. but who's not one of your best on your team, they're going to be two to three. A good player is going to be three to four. You know their name. They're a part of your team. Somebody who's going to the all-star game is generally in that four to five category. A superstar is like five to six. And then they're basically in the MVP conversation if their war is above six. Yeah. So anything above that is incredible. Exactly. So those are just some things to keep in mind as we're digging into this more. Now, another thing, Brian, as we have built war up to be this fantastic statistic, unfortunately... Has to be perfect, right? It, right. There's no way it could have right. flaws, right? right. <laughs> we do have to admit that it is imperfect. There are some flaws, oh, unfortunately. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> but keep in mind, there is a reason why this is regarded as the best statistic in baseball, because... 
the flaws, while they are there, are very minor, but still need to be acknowledged. So just a couple of those to keep in mind. One complaint that some people have is that it's not great for comparing across different eras. Across a player's career, it's probably still within the range that you can compare a season at the beginning of their career with a season at the end, right? Within a decade or two, it's not that different. But if you're trying to compare a player from the dead ball era with somebody from the steroid era, for example, right. those are just astronomically different and tough to compare. And of course, you've got players from 120 years ago versus today. Right. Because this statistic has baked into it what your average replacement player yes. is, that specific player who's kind of just a made-up player, essentially, is pretty different in the year 1900. Your guy off the bench in 1900 probably isn't as good as your guy <laughs> off the bench in 2021. Sure. Th- I would guess. Yes, yeah. I would even say the guy off the bench back then was probably as good as the guy off the street. <laughs> Not as much now. <laughs> Obviously, that's an yeah. exaggeration, but gets the idea. Across. Yeah, yeah. So that is one flaw with this. Another is that it doesn't necessarily apply well to comparing relief pitchers with position players or starting players just because the volume of work is such a heavy weight in that formula. Right. You have to pitch a lot of innings to get a high war and relief pitchers just simply do not do that. Exactly. So, for example, Josh Hader, who is one of the best relievers, has been for years. As much as it pains me to admit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Brewers, ugh. We're just about at the end of the season, and he has just barely made it above a three, which puts him in the barely a good player category, right, if we were using the general rule of thumb. For a relief pitcher, though, that's insane that he's even above two. So just keep that in mind when you hear about relief pitchers being talked about, right? Exactly. Then the other thing that we should consider is that it is an approximation. You're basically taking an average of averages. So there's a lot of roundings here and there. It's a lot of approximations. And once you start to try to combine those in any way, you're going to lose some precision along the way. Right. And especially that's true in formulas in which you're multiplying or dividing, which you are, in fact, doing in the war formula. So as soon as you're multiplying by an approximation, the chances of your formula going astray are higher. Yeah. (laughs) And that is precisely what is happening. And credit here to um, Bill James, famous baseball statistician for publishing an article online called The Real Problem with War. It's his idea where he points out that this is what is an inherent problem with it. Yeah, exactly. So keeping that in mind, if you hear about a player with, for example, a 4.5 war versus a player with a 4.2 war, that's not really a significant enough difference to say this is for sure a better player. They're probably playing a little better right then and there based on whatever it is that's the factor making it a little better, but not enough that you're willing to make those kind of leaps. So it's fairly safe to say a player with a two war is worse than a player with a four war, but it's a lot less definitive to say a player with a 2.5 is better than a player with a 2.3. Yeah. So a couple of other minor things that some people have complained about. One is that it doesn't account for quote unquote clutch situations. So some people say just some players are more naturally going to do well in clutch situations and some of them kind of cave under pressure. That's going to be a tough thing to quantify anyway, but you do hear that argument every once in a while. 
But one thing that has been improved and was a complaint at one point was what this league average player is, how they calculate that. Nowadays, there is a formula that they use in every one of these, right? We talked about there's kind of three sources for it. They all use the same league replacement player in their calculation. So that's really nice. It has been standardized. It's good to have that consistency. Yeah, exactly. That did not used to be the case. So now that they've corrected that, that does make a big difference. Yeah, that's pretty huge. Yeah. So keeping in mind, even with all these flaws, generally in the baseball world, wins above replacement is considered the best statistic for doing comparative analysis. Right. And Katie, of course, this is only until you and I develop an even better baseball statistic, exactly. which I think we've talked about probably is the eventual outcome of this podcast 10 uh-huh. years down the road. So right. give us 10 years. We'll be there. If you're listening to us 10 years from now and you're hearing this episode, just fast forward 10 years and you'll hear us talking about this awesome new metric to weigh baseball players that we've developed. Exactly. You'll hear about the BA war for baseball acumen. That's right. Yeah. Yes. 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 (laughs) And we'll be filthy rich because we developed it (laughs) and trademarked it or something. (laughs) Yeah. So because it has become this incredible statistic for now, one of the questions that it raises is, should this be the primary factor when they're trying to determine who the MVP and who the Cy Young Award winner of the season should be? Yeah. Great question. Right. Because theoretically, this is a statistic that takes into account all of the other statistics, right? And takes out some of those factors that would not be equalizing, right? Right. So currently it has pretty much become that. War is the primary factor that they look at and then they look at other things as well. But should it be? So that's just a question to think about. I'm inclined to say, yes, I think if we had to pick a top thing to look at, it makes sense because theoretically it has accounted for a lot of the things that people would complain about, right? But I guess the counter argument to that, Katie, is exactly what we said a couple minutes ago, where your top two players in war, say your top two pitchers or something, might be like a 7.6 and a 7.5. And it's like, do you automatically give it to the guy who has the 7.6? Well, not necessarily, because again, what we just said is this statistic gets you really close, but then once you're down to sort of that 10th of a percent range, it's not necessarily going to be perfect. So I think ultimately the MVP and Cy Young conversations, sure, war should heavily factor in, but you also have to look at some of the specifics that got you there as well, which I think a lot of the people voting for these awards essentially are doing kind of both of those things. So once we get the baseball acumen statistic out there, then that will be the definitive one, but we're just not there yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And I will say one thing that makes this argument for war being a primary factor in this decision-making progress is that if you look at all of the Hall of Famers and you look at the list of top war players of all time. So looking over their career, who has accumulated the most war, right? Just adding up what they got each season. The top 64 players in that war ranking are all in the Hall of Fame. Now, granted, this is excluding the couple with exceptions because of, you know, suspected steroids, cheating, whatever it is. (laughs) But the top 64 players are in the Hall of Fame. Right. 
which means it's doing a fairly good job as a statistic. Exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. accounting for across eras, right? Right. That includes people from even the 1800s up through people just within the last decade or so who've retired. You know, the flip side to that argument is it also maybe speaks well of the folks who are voting players into the Hall yeah, of Fame. That absolutely. Now, potentially decades later... There's a way to go back and measure how well they did picking the players that they voted for to get into the Hall of Fame. And it actually turns out they actually did fairly well. Like we yeah. have a, now a statistic to kind of measure that. So Agreed. bravo, Hall of Fame voters. You actually <laughs> yes. didn't do too bad, you know? Way to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A couple of other just little things for why this is considered the best statistic. One is that there are no big outliers. It is really hard to find a player that you're like, oh, this statistic makes them look better than they are or worse than they were or whatever it right. is. Right. And you know what? This was one that I specifically researched for this episode because I was thinking, surely there's some anomalies to this <laughs> and we'll be able to find, oh, such and such a player was really awesome, but for whatever reason, they don't have a good war. And I realized that my argument here is purely anecdotal. I Googled it and just didn't find really anything in the way of articles that were pointing this out, which you would think you would be able to find. <laughs> yeah. So almost by absence, you can make the argument that maybe, sure. in fact, that's because there really aren't a lot of outliers. But again, at best, all I can say is it's anecdotal at this point. So, yeah. And I will say I've also done some research and have not found anything significant. So yeah. So yeah. again, Agreed. bravo. <laughs> Seems like it's holding up. So yeah. Yeah. good for war. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, probably the primary argument for why this is the best is that it can compare players across all positions, teams, anything like that, just to get a better overall picture and comparison. Because baseball is so specific to positions, it's really hard to find statistics where you can compare right. players at that level. Yeah. And this seems to do a good job of that. So yeah, overall, that's amazing that it does that actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's incredible. So even though there are some small flaws, some people will have to nitpick everything, right? This really is incredibly significant for the game of baseball. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Given all of that context, Brian, would you care to share some kind of fun war statistics? I loved hearing about this part of it, so take it away. Yeah, so... I think the great thing about this, before I go into some of the fun things that I'd planned, once you start to get your head wrapped around war, it really does start to turn those water cooler discussions into <laughs> legitimate, you can back it up type arguments. I remember reading a Facebook thread yeah. recently that was comparing a couple of specific Cubs players and like which one was the best or whatever. And I just didn't have the time to properly respond to it. And I wish I had, but <laughs> you could actually go back and look at the seasons those players had and what their war was and more or less definitively say so-and-so was better than so-and-so, which is fun. Yeah, it settles those arguments. Yeah, <laughs> Finally, you've got something that you can lean into that's really substantial for having those conversations, even though it does take a little bit of grunt work and you have to go do some math and do a little research on your favorite baseball statistics website. So moving ahead to this season. So as we record this, we're about two weeks away from the end of the 2021 season. At this point in the season, like we talked about, it's cumulative and these players are 
arriving at what will be close to their final war. They don't have a lot of opportunities to change it in the last 14 games of the season or whatever. So it was just interesting to look at who is the leaders in Major League Baseball for war this year. Of course, the first one on the list is really an interesting case already because it's one Shohei Otani. Uh And of course... Why is he the highest war? Currently, he's at an 8.2, which Which is is just ridiculously high. Clearly, that exceeds the six or above war that Katie cited (laughs) earlier as being in the MVP conversation. And it'll be very interesting to see if, in fact, he gets voted as MVP or whatever. Yeah. But the thing you have to remember about Shohei Otani, of course, is that he is a two-way player. So his 8.2, it's a combination of the fact that he both is a hitter and a pitcher and is just getting way more reps than any other player in baseball. Really unfair. He's the exception to everyone. It's completely (laughs) unfair that he's leading But bravo to the Angels that they're getting essentially the value of two really good players out of one spot in their roster. Yeah, That's crazy that they can do that. So Otani's actual batting war is a 4.5, which don't get me wrong, that is still right in the middle of the all-star level. So And for a designated hitter... Yeah, for a DH, right. And as a pitcher, he's a little lower than that. He's at a 3.7, but again, that's in the very, very good player range, right? So it's not like he's doing particularly poorly on either side of the coin. He's doing equally very well on both sides, and cumulatively together, they give him an 8.2, which just basically blows everyone else out of the water. (laughs) Yeah, because... (laughs) The second guy is only at a 7.2. Right, which is Carlos Correa, right, for Houston. So good for him. (laughs) He is the highest who only plays one position. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, the argument could be made on his side of things that maybe he should be the MVP this season because... Katie, is it fairly typical that MVP goes to an offensive player because Cy Young tends to go to the pitcher, right? Or does go to the pitcher. Generally a position player. Right. I think that's one interesting argument that's going to happen soon is do you reward Shohei Otani for the fact that he's just also pitching very well or do you reward Carlos Correa because he's just killing it as a hitter, you know? Which I would say it's still significant that he's at that 8.2 rather than 7.2, right? That's significant enough because he is contributing to his team nearly double what any other player is able to. So yes, it's quote unquote unfair, Yeah, but it's because he's just contributing more. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. So, and then just looking down the next couple of people, we've got Zach Wheeler for the Phillies, who's our highest pitching by himself war. So that's a (laughs) 7.0, almost double what Shohei Otani's pitching war is, which he had a 3.7, right? Yeah. And then I thought what was actually really interesting as we look at this specific season is the next three players at 6.9, 6.8, and 6.8 are all three Toronto Blue Jays, which really speaks well to their lineup. So you've got Marcus Simeon, followed by Vladimir Guerrero, both infielders for the Blue Jays. And then you've got Robbie Ray, their pitcher, at 6.9, 6.8, and 6.8, respectively. It's like, 
holy cow. If you think about that, that's three MVP caliber players on your team. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's so amazing. Unfair, perhaps. (laughs) Yeah, that's stunning. So, of course, Toronto's in the middle of the playoff conversation right now, you know? Right. It just completely makes sense. So, after looking at this season, I thought it would also be fun to just go back in history and just look at, okay, since we can kind of compare players to some extent across eras using this statistic, who is the greatest baseball player of all time, right? Yes. So of course you go look that up and number one on all the published lists is of course, and it pains me to say it because he's a Yankee, but we always remember that he was also on the Red Sox. <laughs> yes. Babe Ruth is of course. the number one overall war with a 183 over his career. And again, yeah. war being a cumulative statistic, this is the addition of his war all added together over all of his 21 seasons or approximately exactly. that he played. And then second place is Walter Johnson, who many people actually may not even know who that is. Yeah, sadly. (laughs) But he was a pitcher on the Washington Senators from 1907 to 1927, so overlapped with Babe Ruth for more than a decade, but apparently was just a lights-out pitcher, and his overall war was 164. So compared to Babe Ruth's 183, it's like, you know, it's not that (laughs) close, but it's a solid second place of all time. Not pocket change. Yeah. And then third place overall is a name that we have mentioned multiple times this episode because it's none other than Cy Young, who the pitching award annually is named after, right? Exactly. He was a real person, not just an award. (laughs) That's right. Yes, exactly. So he was a pitcher, and I actually really enjoyed looking at the list of teams that he played for. So (laughs) it was the Cleveland Spiders, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Boston Red Sox, and the Cleveland Naps. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me want to go take a nap, but yeah. Yeah, it needs to come back. (laughs) I know, that would just be amazing. Hey, you never know. It it might because the Indians could go away very soon here. So uh, it'd be so great if they brought that back. Or the Washington football team. Yes, so that maybe they'll be Cleveland baseball team for a couple years. There we go. But Cy Young played, again, a similar number of years to Babe Ruth and Walter Johnson. Again, started in 1890 and went to 1911. So again, all three of these guys are roughly 20 seasons, and Cy Young's career war was 163.6. So again, you've got Babe Ruth at 183.1, Walter Johnson in second place at 164.8, and then Cy Young right behind him at 163.6. So of course, Babe Ruth was the greatest player of all time, right? Well, I started thinking about that, and this is where we loop back to the conversation we just had about Shohei Otani, because like Shohei Otani, for some of Babe Ruth's career, he was a two-way player. (laughs) And so in some senses, just like we were saying, it, it kind of feels unfair that Shohei Otani is leading the league in war right now. Maybe we should similarly be saying it's a little unfair that Babe Ruth has the career leader in war 
because some percentage of that has to be attributed to the fact that he pitched for a number of years, right? Right. And compared to most baseball players you would compare him to today, like 99.9% of baseball players do not do both pitching and hitting on a regular basis. Yeah. Certainly your National League pitchers do hit occasionally, but not at a volume that really makes a significant difference to their war statistic. Right. So I thought, you know, it would actually be interesting to look at Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, and Cy Young and actually subtract out the other side of the equation from them and see how they might actually more realistically compare to today's baseball players, right? Yeah. That is, in fact, what I did. So here's where life gets interesting. So Babe Ruth, if you look at him, his overall was 183.1 and... Props to him, 162.7 of that is on the batting side of the equation, whereas 20.4 of his war is on the pitching side. So still significantly high score on the batting side, 162.7. So got to give him credit. So if we go down to Walter Johnson, and since he was primarily a pitcher, we'll look at the pitching side of his equation, and he was a 152.1. Again, he's like 10 war behind Babe Ruth's strength, which was the hitting. Again, makes sense that he would actually be considered behind Babe Ruth as an all-time player. So again, Babe Ruth, 162.7. Walter Johnson, just on the pitching side, 152.1. And he was 12.7 on batting. Now, when you look at Cy Young, this is where it gets a lot of fun, because if you look at Cy Young's pitching, he was actually a 165.6 on the pitching side of the equation, which is, in fact, almost three career war higher than Babe Ruth's 162.7. Which is significant. So if you do sort of a how would they play today, you actually could argue that Cy Young, in fact, is the greatest baseball player of all time based on the war statistic rather than Babe Ruth, if you kind of discount the fact that Babe Ruth was a two-way player, which sort of makes it an unfair advantage that he got, right? Wow, Brian, are you claiming that Babe Ruth is not the best player? Our Yankees fans may ditch us. (laughs) Yeah, they certainly might, but I think the argument can be made. And interestingly, Cy Young's war actually goes up when you take his hitting yeah, out of the equation. That's my favorite So fact. as a career hitter, he was a negative 2.0 war. <laughs> so his team did worse when he batted. Just curious here. I'm going to quick look up John Lester just to see what his career hitting war is, just as a really good example of a poor hitting pitcher. <laughs> yes, okay. actually, though. So just as a comparison point, John Lester, he's a notoriously bad hitting pitcher, right? Yes. But his career war for hitting is actually a negative 0.1, whereas, again, Cy Young was a negative 2.0. So, (laughs) and Lester's had a long career. That kind of puts it in the conversation, right, where it's like, ooh, yeah, Cy Young really was a bad hitter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then that actually awards him two more points on the pitching side of the equation and gets him up to that 165.6. So I think, Katie, what we might be saying is, yeah, I might be arguing that Cy Young is actually the best baseball player of all time if you just look at the primary function that he and Babe Ruth both played. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm convinced, but I'm definitely intrigued. I definitely want to dig more into that. Yeah. 
At least you can follow the line of thought. Right. And I think that's where this gets fun, right? Is with this war statistic, yeah. you can really take a look at things and it makes it fun and interesting to sort of manipulate it a little bit and kind of see where things land. And there are ways of comparing war across a person's career. So you can look at their average war per season, or there are things like a lot of times they'll compare players by looking at their seven best seasons of war and sure. what were those. So like in the prime of their career, were they the better player? So yeah. there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it. And in fact, Katie, in an upcoming episode this season, we will be comparing two players to try and figure out who the better player is. And these are some of the things that now can enter the conversation because our listeners have been educated about this. So you'll have exactly. to stay tuned and figure out how Katie and I use war to have precisely the kind of water cooler discussion that could be had <laughs> about two players. So hopefully that's enough exactly. of a teaser for our upcoming episode. Oh yeah, I'm excited for that. Oh yeah, it's going to be great. So stay tuned and look forward to, yes, another exciting episode of Baseball, Baseball Acumen. Acumen.